Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Bombercast. I'm your host, Sponsor34, and I'm joined as always by the Grizz. How are you this evening, mate? I'm doing all right, Bonds. Another week, uh, another loss. It's getting a bit cumbersome, but um, always good to be uh, on talk to you about the Bombers. And we are joined by a special guest this evening, which is Eth Dog. And, and I, I assume I'm pronouncing Eth Dog correctly. It's not Eth Dog? Yes, mate, it's Eth Dog. Glad to be here. So, Chris, you did, you did allude straight up the the sad fact that we are again talking uh, about another loss. We did go down to the Demons in, in a more positive fashion, I think, on Friday night than perhaps we maybe hoped for. But what were your takeaways from the game on, on Friday night, Grizz? My takeaways from it was very similar to the game against Brisbane where our intensity was clearly up for most of the game. We had a bit of a slow start, which sort of cost us and probably would have cost us more if Melbourne didn't have the yips in the first quarter. But I thought the intensity was up, but we were just beaten by a team that clearly was better structured and had a better idea how they wanted to move the ball. I mean, the talk about this game going in was about, oh, can we meet the match them in the clearances? And we actually ended up winning the clearances which surprised me when I looked at it afterwards. But where we were smashed was actually on the outside. I think Melbourne had 57 more uncontested possessions, 32 more marks, and beat us in the inside 50, 66 to 39. So they just controlled the flow of play so much better than we did. We, we lacked composure moving the ball. And um, when we did win it back in our back half, we were sort of stagnated from moving it. There's own sort of presses to going, you know, one out down the line a lot. So again, couldn't fault the effort. Melbourne are clearly a better team, better drilled and much more advance in the development but not too much oh, if you told me before the game we we're going to lose by 29 points I probably would have taken it to be honest it probably hurts a bit that we're in front by 9 or 10 points and we sort of lost the plot a little bit but not too bad overall and how about you East? did you see it the same way I mean I tend to agree with Grizz in that we did start extremely slowly um, and it probably hurt us a lot you know I sort of saw it that the boys they almost went out like they thought they were going to get smashed and then after Melbourne missed a couple it was like they sort of clicked in their heads that you know what these guys are actually human they're the same as us they can miss and, and that sort of said to spark us in the gear a little bit which you know unfortunately meant we were chasing tail and, and we did hit the front but it, it did always feel like we were behind the eight ball um, after such a slow start. Yeah I thought we did start slowly yeah that first quarter was terrible but I like our inside work a lot we shut down Petrarca really well and after his first three rounds I was thinking oh god he's gonna have 40 and kick three against us but McGrath and Jackie Stringer did a good job on him at uh, the stoppages I thought we had two of our first choice wings out in Langford who's really good at controlling between the arcs which sort of let Ed Langdon off the chain a bit and I thought he was one of the best players on the ground too. That's the way I saw it for the most part. Yeah, Ed Langdon's definitely an underrated player I think for Melbourne Grizzly. He's raised a good point there because if you spoke to us pre-game we would have said you know Oliver and Petrarca are the two you have to watch for and Oliver certainly got on top. Andy McGrath did a great job on Petrarca there as a gain Ethel Luke to and Andy Brayshaw is the other one obviously or have I got the right Brayshaw there at Melbourne Andy or is it Angus, no, Angus. Angus, Angus, sorry, Angus, Angus, at, Angus at Melbourne, Angus Brayshaw. He's the other one that I sort of thought might get away from us. I probably didn't expect the, the record marks that he took. But yeah, Ed Langdon was definitely one on the outside that torched us and probably maybe caught us a little bit unawares. Yeah, well, like I said, they sort of dominated the flow of play outside the contest. And, and the thing about Langdon and Brayshaw is their running power is elite. They just power from basically goalpost to goalpost all game. And it's funny with Brayshaw, he started off as this 
big bodied inside midfielder, but he's almost central to their system now as a wingman and like I said, taking marks and well Langdon showed in last year's final series. He had a couple of games where he kicked multiple goals and was racking up disposals. Like you can just tell watching Brisbane, everyone in that team has a very clear defined role. They know what they're doing. They're not picked unless they're capable of fulfilling that role. Whereas I think we have a few guys out at the moment and there's probably a few guys in the team that we'll get to that are either underperforming because they're just not good enough or they're in a role which is sort of foreign to them. And yeah, I think Langford adds a big shout. He He's the sort of guy that you can sort of trust between the arcs to make good decisions and take a few marks if you need him to. Yeah, we will talk about some specific players. And we'll start with one that he's a favourite of yours in, in Mason Redmond. Now, I think you're pretty content for him to stay on the halfback flank. If I remember rightly, I believe you said on the board earlier this week, we finally got a halfback flanker that's a halfback flanker and people are desperate to push him up the ground. But you have to admit his, his effort on Friday night wasn't great. Yeah, his form this year has been shambolic. He's nowhere near the player he was last year, and it's actually shown over the past four years. He had a really good 2019. He had a pretty bad 2020. Like, we all know he had okay and had issues in 2020 with the hubs and everything, so I was willing to forgive him that. He was really good again last year, and he's had a bad start to the season. It's been a real issue, especially with pains targeting Hind and locking down his run from defence too. Yeah, Hind is an interesting one, Grizz. I still look at him and go, look, he hasn't been as good as he has previously. And, and you know, we are still lacking in his run department. But Meters gained. I, I'm not sure how much weight you put in that stat, but he's been either leading or close to leading the first three rounds for us. And he, he led again on Friday night. He had 491 metres gained, which, I mean, I know you expect from a half-back flanker, but considering I, I don't really see him as much as I did last year, maybe that's because he's not having those blistering runs. So that it does still surprise me that he's leading that stat. And I mean, are we being a little harsh by saying they've nullified him? Meters gained to be one of those stats, but it's a bit like pressure acts in that. And probably not so much. I don't. I know Eve has a very strong view on pressure acts as a stat, <laughs> but where it requires context for the true value of the stat to come out. And so if you bomb a 50, 60 meter kick, down to a contest and the contest halves and then they get a ball up. You've gained 50 metres technically, but if you short pass to a guy 20 metres away and he runs 60 metres upfield, you only get 20 metres gained. So you've really got to watch the game to know what that metres gained comes into. But uh, just just on Redmond, and I'll get to the hind point in a second, Redmond's the sort of guy that you need in your team because he's willing to take risks with the ball in hand. If you don't have guys like Redmond, you can get very stale. Where I think Redmond struggles is knowing when to take the risk. When Mason's running through the ground, linking up with hand pass and, and getting involved in chains of possession and kicking in the forward half of the ground, he's exceptionally dangerous in a good way. What I find is his brain fades come when he's set in defence, trying to kick against zones, trying to kick against a Melbourne team that's set up from a point and he's kicking out from the goal square. That's not the time to try pinpoint a pass to a guy 50 metres in between four Melbourne defenders because we see what happens. He turns it over, they go through and kick a goal. He shanked the kick, which doesn't help, makes it look 100 times worse, but he just needs to know when. And when his confidence is down and he's trying to make things happen, he can take unnecessary risks, which when he looks really bad and with Hind I think they're definitely targeting him like they're sitting guys on him he's not getting their hand passes around the back anymore because you can watch that guys like Cozzy Pickett and Fritsch were just hightailing behind him to make sure he didn't get those quick hand balls and when the ball's continually being bombed into our defensive 50 
and we're not able to generate free run and link play out of the defense. We're sort of just constantly playing that sort of trench warfare that teams like to play against us. Yeah, it really nullifies the effect guys like Redmond and Hind with his pace and have. You raise an excellent point, Grizz, in regards to Redmond, in that we do need blokes that do know when to pull the trigger. And I think I actually said to you in the, in the thread on Friday night that, you know, the problem with Mason that I had Friday night was at one stage there he'd had, you know, eight or nine touches or whatever it was, and he, but he's had two or three really big mistakes. He needs to be able to read the game better and go, look, this is my moment to go. I thought maybe he was trying to force things because maybe he knew in his head he hadn't got that much of the ball and was almost trying to force the issue. But, but we do definitely need players that actually try something different and one of the pleasing things I took from the game on, on Friday night was was blokes like Andrew Phillips for example who, who took the game on a little bit more so we did do a lot of bombing down the line which you, you obviously can't do against Melbourne but there was one stage there in, in that third quarter where Phillips went to switch the ball now he kicked it straight down Bailey Fritch's throat and we were lucky that Fritch popped <laughs> it up and we turned and he turned it over and we ran away but it the kick wasn't the best kick, but the idea was there. It was just something that I thought was a little bit different. So so it was definitely something that I took away as a pleasing fact that there is still times there where the boys are prepared to back themselves and, and try something a little bit different. It's just all about knowing when to take the risks and when. I totally agree. Like, if you'd watched Mason Redmond on Friday night, never seen a game before, you'd be like, who the heck is this bloke? Like, what is he doing? But <laughs> that's just part of it. And, like, we forget with Mason Redmond, what is he, 23 years old? Like, he feels like he's been around forever. But he's not really. He might be 24, actually. So he's still got that level of development. But, yeah, I think that third quarter where we got on top in the clearances in that quarter and we were able to get first possession forward. And I think we were just really efficient going forward, which made it look a lot better than it was. Melbourne missed so many easy and gettable set shots, which made the result probably look more flattering than it was. But against teams like Melbourne, against teams like Geelong and Brisbane that we've played, ironically, so far, you, you can't just go down the line 100% of the time they're setting you up for that. You've got to try something different. Just, it's about knowing when to try that something different and when to just play the percentages. While I'm talking about Source Phillips, Eth, let's talk about the other ruckman. That's Sam Draper. Now, he actually led the hitouts on Friday night, which in isolation sounds good, but the reality was he, he was pretty poor. And I think he's been fairly average the first three weeks. Now, I'm not sure if it's because he's down on confidence or if you know the fact that we were getting belted in the middle against Geelong. So that was, was that his fault? It's, it's hard to tell. You know, again, against Brisbane, he wasn't great, but he was okay. But he got pantsed on, on Friday night, I thought, against Gorn and Jackson. So, so the question is, at the moment, do we keep Draper? in the side, do we keep playing him in the AFL or do we, as crazy as it might have sounded at the start of the year, do we pull the trigger and drop Draper and bring in a Brian or even let Phillips go solo in the ruck? First off, I, I think we need to continue with three rucks, especially against someone like O'Brien this week. Draper's form this year has been pretty bad but the other thing is he's at that stage where he's about 20 games in I'd say and teams have worked out what he brings and they're taking steps to nullify it, which it's something he's going to have to deal with if he's going to become a really good ruckman, which I think all of us are confident that he'll be. So I'd keep him in for a few more weeks. I'd give him until Anzac Day, and if his form hasn't improved by then, then maybe look at O'Brien or maybe look at Phillips going with Wright, who I kind of want to just keep him as a forward right now, given his form. So, yeah, I think if we do keep him in, maybe try him more forward this week to see if he can expose, I don't know, Billy Frampton or something. Yeah, I think for me with 
Draper, the thing I'd be just saying to him if I was the coach is your one wood is your aggression and your physicality around the ground. You're a lump of a kid. I think it's like the 25 games in, but he's 24, 23, 24 years old now. You're a lump of a kid. What made him so startling last year was he was just physically imposing himself on guys who are six, seven years older than him and 100 games more experience. We remember the game against Hawthorne where, you know, Jonathan Segler's a 100-game ruckman and he just made him look like an under-18s player. And he's lost that aggression. And more than that, he's actually lost intensity. There's a couple... I went to the Brisbane game live and I was sort of startled by the amount of times where it was his turn to go and he didn't in a marking contest or when he could have been a physical and laid a tackle and he didn't. The tap work, the positioning around the field, all that sort of stuff you can develop on the fly but if he's lost his aggression and that's the reason I think to send him down to the VFL and go all right beat up on a couple of VFL Ruckman for a couple of weeks and get your confidence back but yeah if it keeps continuing like this I'm with ETH I think you've either got to look at sort of moving him down or moving him forward in a couple of weeks I think the problem with moving him forward is and it is a part of his game he can't work on but he's set shot kicking isn't great and I'm not sure that he's got the tools or the capability to play as a full-time forward but the other bloke um, that Heath mentioned who is playing forward for us quite well at the moment Grizz and I think all through I think both yourself and me had a we were in, we in agreement with Rowan Conley um, in the preseason where we said that Peter Wright is not a forward you can build your uh, forward line around he's, he's a great probably second forward, but he's not the blue chip piece that you want there. Well, hasn't he come out and absolutely blown us away in the first three rounds with that sort of prediction? Because he's now second in the Coleman. Now, he was absolutely the focal point for our comeback against Melbourne, you know, however short-lived it was on Friday night. And maybe we need to reassess as to whether or not he's the kind of forward you can build a forward line around. Yeah, so the red light goes off for a small sample size warning. It's only been three games. But I do understand what you're saying. I'm not moved on my opinion that he's a really good second forward. I'm not sure he's your Max King, Lance Franklin, Tom Hawkins, like number one genuine I can take your best defender every week and kick their butt sort of forward. But I think structurally, he's doing everything you could ask of him. The thing that makes him look so spectacular, I think, is his accuracy. Like, he doesn't really miss too many shots. If you give him, you know, four or five shots a game, he's going to nail three or four of them, and which is really helpful because, you know, first couple of weeks, we were woefully inaccurate, particularly against Brisbane. So, yeah, he's been a pleasant surprise. And look, if he turns out to be a 45 to 50 goal year forward, which is two and a half a game, which is basically what he's going at now, maybe a bit more, if he ends up being a 45, 50 goal year forward, that's a huge win for what was essentially a couple of fourth round picks and a salary dump from the Gold Coast. So that's outstanding. But yeah, he's had a great start to the year. He did come cheap, and you're right. It is a very small sample size, but um, as I think I declared, Nick Martin was going to win the Brownlow after the first round. So I think <laughs> I'm certainly no str- I'm certainly no stranger, Chris, to, to throwing my hat into the ring after a couple of games ago, and that's what we're going to see from this bloke forever and a day. But you are right. We will have to see if he continues, and he's probably got a big chance against Adelaide this week because their back stocks are all that that great. But the the other player I do want to quickly mention is before we do look at the um, the Adelaide game, and that's Andrew McGrath. Now I appreciate all the discussion and his disposal and his tendency to panic and all that sort of, I suppose, negative side that, that's come out about him from his game on Friday night. But I think he's, the positive aspect was overlooked too because, okay, we, we spent the number one draft pick on him, so you hope that he's not going to just be a tagger. But he did a really good job on Christian Petrarca on Friday night. And I'm a big Petrarca fan. I think he's, at the moment, the best player in the comp. And I don't even think it's close at the moment. That goal that 
Um, he scored in the third quarter with the touch that was heard around the world as I'm now labelling it, Grizz. Um, <laughs> was something that, it's just something that the great players could do. He had been shut out of the game, then out of nowhere off, what, two steps from you know, 45 or 50 out, whatever it was, and just slotted it, even if it was touch. was still a very impressive kick. But, Heath, how did you see McGrath on Friday night? Were you happy with his job in Petrarca? And is that enough to overcome, I suppose, the, the deficiencies that, currently exist in his game on the offensive side? For me, absolutely. I've been steadfast in my thinking that McGrath should be played in the midfield because he's pretty much the only defensive midfielder we have. And that's always been an area of concern for me because we I'm pretty sure most people on our board know how much I wanted George Hewitt last year, which could have potentially released McGrath into defence, but he's the only defensively minded midfielder we have. And that's not necessarily to say he's a tagger. Like, he, he did a fantastic job on Petrarca. That, it was amazing. But to be a defensive midfielder, you don't necessarily need to be a tagger. But yeah, I think the only one you'd potentially tag from Adelaide is Ben Keyes, who has improved out of sight for them. But I think his defensive game was well worth his lack of poise going forward on Friday. Chris, there is something I just want to raise and throw to you about his lack of poise. Do you think it's necessary lack of poise, or do you think that's the way Andrew McGrath looks when he plays. I throw back, for example, to Paddy Ryder, who had a laconic running style, and people used to say, oh, he doesn't care. But he clearly did. That was just the way he played. That's just the way he physically looked. Is it possible that some of this disappointment about how much McGrath panics comes around because he plays in a way that his eyes are darting, his hands are darting, and he just looks messy? First of all, I'm member A1 of the... Andrew McGrath fan club. So I might be slightly biased. I think there's a real adjustment from going from halfback to midfield in terms of how you play. So when you play at halfback, you're generally playing with the field in front of you. When you play in the midfield, it's a 360 game. And you've got a sort of field pressure around you. And sometimes you feel pressure, which is there, which forces you to the dump kick. I think there are moments where he lacks composure. I think that's pretty obvious. I don't mind him hat kicking so much out of clearance situations because most players do that. He doesn't really rush in general play situations, but he's not, you know, Zach Merritt, Jordan Ridley level kick. He's a solid kick. I just find when he plays in defense, he's a lot calmer because the game is all in front of him and he makes a lot more sort of composed decisions. When he's in midfield, he does have the tendency to panic a little bit. But I do I do want to note that his whole career has been back midfield, back midfield, back midfield, oscillating between the two of them. And I think we haven't seen the best of Andy McGrath on that basis. You think about all the number one picks that get drafted as midfielders, you know, Horn Francis, those sorts of guys. Now, they're, they're thrown straight into the guts and their first five years are playing you know, Sam Walsh exclusive midfield. He hasn't really done that. I think the defensive... I, I'm, I'm a bit with ETH in that I think the defensive midfield could be the making of him. Um, I think he's got a skill set of knowing when to stick his man and knowing when to run off, which comes from playing in defence. And I think, you know, he could make that position his own. And not, not like a hard tagger, but as a sweeper going forward. But in answer to your question, I think sometimes he can lack composure, but I think it's overblown and people sort of look for things to get up to Andy McGrath about. So, fellas, we will touch briefly on the uh, the Adelaide game that's coming up. This Sunday, one ten, I believe it is, at... Um... 
what's it called now, Marvel Stadium. I always forget his name. Ethan, you did mention a bloke from Adelaide that I love in Ben Keys, and I think the midfield battle is where it's going to be won this week. Oh, look at Adelaide's forward line, and you know, Elliot Himmelberg kicked his four goals on the weekend, but their key forwards aren't going to be outsizing our key backs. So I think we actually match up really well because I mean, they have Himmelberg, and they have I shudder at trying to pronounce this name, but I'm going to say Golland. I believe his name is Golland, who also kicked the four, and they also do have Darcy Fogarty, who as their key position forward. And there's a person listening to this podcast who's probably driving his his car into a tree as he listens to me talk about Fogarty because I am a big fan of Darcy Fogarty. I know he hasn't delivered much AFL level yet, but I do think he can be a superstar for the Adelaide Crows. But you you look at their key position stocks up forward, you go, well, there's not much there compared to, you know, Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins or a Joe Danaher from the Lions or even Melbourne with Tom McDonald. Even Wiedemann was pretty decent on Friday night. So I don't look at their forward and get all that concerned. Josh Rochelle's okay, but again, he's young. Hopefully we're up to stop him. So do you think the midfield battle is where this game is won on Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. And we do have a better midfield on paper. I look at their midfield. You have Keys, who's very good. Schoenberg did a really good job on Parrish last time. When you get below that, it doesn't have a lot of inside power. We have, like, Shields having a good year. Parrish hasn't had the best start, but should grow into it. And then McGrath and Caldwell should be um, good enough on the inside. The thing about Adelaide I'm probably most nervous about is that they've got a lot of elite 50 to 60 metre kicks. Like Mitchell Hinge is not a big name, but his kicking this season has been pinpoint and everyone knows how good Brody Smith is by foot. And apart from the match winning goal, John Dawson's kicking is also really strong. So we can't really afford too many turnovers going inside 50 because they're going to cut us up on the counter with those skills, I think. Yeah, uh, I think we've, we've been beaten pretty solidly in contested possession until the first three weeks. And then we only just got over the top of Melbourne last week in that number. I, I would hope that we need to dominate this midfield battle. I, I don't like the coining of the term, you know, a get right game because I, I don't think Adelaide are nearly bad enough to take for granted on Sunday. But I really want to see us be a bit more composed with our ball use. This is where, you know, I talked about in the preseason pod with you and Rowan Bonds about what our zag was when teams stop our fast sort of pace ball movement. What's our plan B? We haven't seen a lot of that in the first two weeks. And I imagine Adelaide, you know, Matthew Mix is a good coach. He's going to try to put a stop to that. So, you know, what are we going to see this week? I don't think they have a matchup for right. I think we could really exploit that with some really good ball movement forward. But I think I'd be putting the challenge to guys like, if, if they get picked, guys like Rolfie and Ham, um, in the side because, you know, Tipper played on the weekend, got through 60% of the game. You know, Will Snelling could be back soon. There are going to be some squeeze for spots. And so if you haven't performed in the last three weeks and there's more than a couple of guys who fit that description, the troops are coming back. So what have you got this Adelaide? Um, but yeah, I think if we win the midfield, I'm fairly confident I'll, we'll be able to lock the game away um, for the centre. So you've sort of touched on it 
a little bit. But so, which change? What changes do you see coming from Friday night? I'll be honest; I don't see a great deal um, of change. I, I know there was some calls to drop Heppel, and we haven't really talked about him tonight. But I, I feel like we're going to be able to talk probably about him again next week. And I'll tell you now, Grizz, if that's a hill that I am prepared to die on, defending Dyson Heppel. So that could, that could that could be I'll another. Die, error I'll die. I'll die with you on that hill, Bonds. Don't oh, worry about it. That's all right. I was going to say it could be another Aaron Francis discussion like we had last <laughs> week. Um, but I just don't see too many changes. I, I, I think the idea, I think, I think Heath sort of said it earlier, playing two Ruckman is a good idea, especially against Riley O'Brien, because, I mean, Adelaide's backup Ruckman, I think Himmelberg goes in for a little bit, but he doesn't go in much. So if you, I just don't think Draper's got the tank to go with Riley O'Brien the whole game, if that's what if that's the path we choose to go. And I certainly don't think Phillips does either. So I think you have to pick two Rucks to really try and work O'Brien over. Mason Redmond, yeah, he turned the ball over, but as you said, Grizz, it's the kind of play you want. So, so do we drop him or not? I'm not sure, and it'd be really, it'd be a brutal coach's decision to drop Tex Wanganin. You know, his goal was amazing, but his debut, apart from that, was wasn't great. But lack of chances, as always, is, is the problem. So I just don't know where the changes come from this week, and I'm not entirely sure that we have a great deal sitting in the VFL that's ready to come in. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. It's like, okay, if you're gonna drop Mason Redmond. Who are you bringing in? Like it's. Garrett McDonough and Aaron Francis, if you want to put him back, but I think we're pretty sold on having him forward at the moment. Like you, you've got to have the troops behind them, and that's why you know I mentioned guys like Welfy and Hand. They've probably got one, maybe two weeks left before these guys start coming back. They've got to perform well. Um, I, I think if you're going to play two rucks, they have to continue to be efficient forward or centre. You can't have a ruckman just sitting on your bench to take you up and interchange. They need to be able to play forward. And Phillips did that pretty well, I think, on the weekend of, of sort of at least making a contest. But, um, yeah, I don't know what change. It will really just be whether they want to give some young guys a go. I, I agree. I wouldn't drop Tex. I think that would be stiff. He's played basically two games of footy in, in 12 months. Um, he was always going to be short of a run. But if you've brought him in against Melbourne, surely just leave him in against Adelaide. <laughs> like yeah. That would seem pretty <laughs> stiff to drop him. Maybe Ben Hobbs comes in for a run. Maybe they, they figure that Ham or Welfy isn't giving them enough, so they bring in Hobbs to play that role. I don't know. But, yeah, considering it was only a, a five-goal loss, I wouldn't be surprised if there were minimal changes against Adelaide. But if we were to lose Adelaide, heaven forbid, then I would expect there would be some wholesale changes. Yeah, well, I think if we lose to Adelaide, I, I think uh, Chief might have to invest in a new few servers because there'll be a lot of angry people rushing <laughs> to our board um, late Sunday night. But, Heath, we are running out of time, mate, so I'll, I'll get a quick prediction from you. Do you think we'll win this weekend? And if so, how, how do you think we win? I do think we win. And the way we win is through just dominating in the clearances, I think. That's the way we got most of our wins last year. I think of our 11 wins last year, I think we were up in the clearances in nine of them. So we've got to get our hands on the ball and just get it into Wright, who is in stellar form, really, and hope that he can kick us a score with him and Jackie Stringer, really. It sounds like it does sound like a pretty basic plan to me, and it's one that I don't disagree with. I think if we are to win, I, I think you're right. I think the midfield's where we get on top, and we obviously now need right to kick that score, Grizz. But yeah, I mean Stringer was okay on Friday night. Certainly showed some some patches there. Hopefully he's better for the run, and, and he can join in on and snag a few himself. Yeah, I think this is pretty simple. The team that wins the midfield and and wins the inside fifties wins this game. I think I I think both teams have enough firepower forward or centre to trouble the other one. Not saying we 
have a, a whole heap of firepower, but the team that wins the midfield wins the game, I reckon. And you're confident that's going to be us, of course. Oh yes, I think <laughs> we're. I, I, I think we're a, a four. I think we're a, a four goal better team than Adelaide on our day. Yeah. Well, look, I, I tend to agree with you. I'm actually going to go to this game. It'll be my first game. Actually, I think the last game I nearly went to was the Adelaide Crows game last year at Marvel Stadium. So, so I'll be there, and, and I do envisage that we'll we'll have a have a win on on Sunday, and it'll be a nice drive home for me. But, but thank you for this evening, lads. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, Ethan, thank you for coming on this evening, mate. Thanks for having me. It was good fun. And Grizz, it's always good to have a chat, especially when it doesn't get... Somebody said to me, somebody actually did say to me, did you and Grizz got a bit tense last week? There was a little bit of friction between the two of you, which they hadn't sort of heard before. And look, listening back, I didn't really get that feeling at all. I, I think we disagreed, but I thought it was a bit of a friendly discussion last week. Yeah, I didn't feel it at all personally attacked. It's all good, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. I would like to note that Aaron Francis didn't play, so you know um, I feel like that supports my argument. But we'll go. We can get into that next week. Don't start that. Uh, I will. I, I will point out that he didn't play VFL either, so there was probably something going on. Uh, all right, then I'll, I'll retract my previous <laughs> statement then. But thank you once again, everybody, for listening. And as always, to help us out with the podcast for future episodes, remember to like, subscribe and comment on whatever channel you are listening to us on.